Hello and welcome to episode 75 of Gutter to Gutter Podcast. Before we get into this episode, let me remind you to head on over to Instagram and Facebook and follow us at Gutter to Gutter Podcast. Also, be sure to go and check out our new Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash gutter to gutter podcast. There you will find the In the Gutter tier. In the Gutter tier will allow you to find out ahead of time who will be appearing on the podcast. You'll also be able to ask those guests questions directly and be acknowledged on the show. You'll also be able to ask me questions directly and be acknowledged on the show. And extra perks will be added over time. Also, don't forget to go and check out our merch shop at certifiedprinting.com.au forward slash shop and look for Gutter to Gutter podcast merch. New designs will be coming soon. If you've already bought merch, be sure to tag Gutter to Gutter podcast on Facebook or Instagram for your chance to win podcast stickers. I'm also hoping to get some new stickers sorted soon. So without any further ado, let's get into this episode. Okay, folks, in this episode, I am joined by return guest and good friend of the podcast, Brett Williams. Brett joined us all the way back in episode 10, and you might remember that he worked for Enthusiast Motor Insurance. Well, he still does, but that is, for the most part, not what we're talking about here. Brett has taken an extreme shine to automotive detailing. That's right, folks, we have puns. And is currently operating a side project known as Willow's Detail Co. to help curb his new obsession and extreme OCD. We got to talking about where the love of detailing came from, how Brett started out with Willow's Detail Co. and his journey so far. So with all of that said, I would like you to please enjoy this episode with Brett Williams of Enthusiast Motor Insurance and Willow's Detail Co. on Gutter to Gutter Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Gutter to Gutter Podcast. I'm Static, and tonight, join with me is Brett Williams of Willows Detail Co. and also Enthusiast Motor Insurance. Yeah, wearing two hats. Yeah. So we've had you on before talking about the the insurance stuff. Um, Let's try not to get into that tonight. It's kind of hard to avoid, and the the two businesses do cross paths here and there, so we'll see how we go. I mean... Actually, you know what? We're going to go straight into that, straight up, because I don't remember. I don't, honestly, I've, I did zero preparation here. Normally, you know, someone that's really good at their job would go back and listen to the last episode so that they know what we can talk about and what we've already covered. Yep. But I've yep. got no idea. I can't remember. That was nearly two years ago. Yeah, now, that was a while ago. That was yeah. a long time ago. Um, my first question about the insurance industry is what are some of the craziest fucking um, like phone calls you've had as far as people trying to insure things for just a ridiculous amount of money, especially now with COVID prices and everything? It's got to be the VF GTS crowd. Oh, no. They, um, <laughs> as you probably saw, LMCT Plus purchased that gold Malou for a million or whatever they ended up paying for it. So the idea that kind of spread amongst the community was, oh, the rising tide lifts all ships. So my $150,000 GTS that I've driven every day since I bought it is obviously now worth half a million. And it's all based off that. And it's just conjecture and things like that. And it just, yeah, it gets... 
interesting. Like, yeah. So that that Ute that they bought was that an outlier? Was it like something one of a kind, low K's? Was there, was there anything super special about that that makes it? I think it was one of three. So they did GTS Utes and then they did GTSR Utes, but this was a GTSR W1, yep. which is, as far as I'm aware, a little bit more power, a few more shiny black bits in the body kit and whatnot, probably a fancy badge on the glove box. But yeah, there were very few of them. Two of them are still with the original owners, and I think that one was just somebody was seeing GTSs go up because of the COVID prices and whatnot, and I thought, well, let's see how much we can get rid of this for and send it off to auction, and everybody, everyone was watching it. I mean, Street Machine Magazine socials were sharing the bidding increases every day or whenever it went up, and everybody who insures these sorts of cars, I'm sure, was also watching it like I was going, oh, great, let's see what happens here. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a unicorn car. So what is a sale like that? I mean, you you were with Shannon's before as well, so you would have seen a lot of the Shannon's auctions go through. You would have yeah. obviously been there for a lot of them and seen some cars, you know, like back in the day when, like an LJ X, um, GDR XE1 changed hands for like 175 grand or something. Yeah. I think that was like one of the pinnacle sales at the time. Yeah. Um, what does that do for insurances? Like, does, does, does that kind of set... Uh, a point in the market? It does somewhat. I mean, we, as insurers, we don't really have a say on how much the market the market kind of value yeah. for the car is. Like, when we, when I say market value, I don't mean, like, your RAV4s and your Corollas. Like, yeah. our market is those sorts of cars, so we monitor those pretty closely. Those enthusiast cars, exactly as, as, right. if you will. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it does. It kind of sets the tone. So yeah. when you started seeing Bathurst Monaros going for 300-plus and your, your GTs and your GTHOs really climbing up there, you have to react to that. And if someone rings up and says, well, mine's better than that one and here's why, and they can substantiate that, and it is just a, an absolute cracker car, you kind of have to go between what cars are selling for, what you as an insurance company are willing to risk for that car, and that all comes back to all the other risk factors, like where is it kept, how often is it driven, who's driving it, what neighbourhood is it in, that sort of thing. It's The algorithm that gets to the end price is very complicated, uh, but when values get high, obviously the price follows it because it's all yep. kind of related to what we're prepared to spend on that car if it disappears or if it catches fire or those worst-case scenarios where it's a, like a full payout situation. That's nuts, man. I can't imagine a Malu Ute <laughs> having to pay out a million dollars for a Malu Ute. No. I've, <laughs> I've driven a few HSVs, and they, they're great cars. They're, I, I think they're great. They're They're a bit agricultural compared to some of your high performance European <laughs> uh, stuff yeah. and your high end Japanese yeah. stuff I but, agree yeah I mean a six I guess the flavour of our country it's just a bit bare bones and a bit kind of brutal in its power delivery there's nothing soft about them yeah. I mean even the seats themselves are probably the worst seats you'll sit in but they look really pretty in <laughs> if, so if you were to sort of give that um, a value not from an insurance standpoint or even like a purchasing standpoint, if you were to give that like a driving experience value, where do you reckon it kind of sits? Like what would, if, if you could sort of money in, money out, so say you bought it, bought something like that for a hundred grand and you sold it for a hundred grand, you had it for six months and you put 
two, three thousand k's on it. Yeah. What kind of money do you reckon that's that's kind of worth? Jeez, I don't know. That's a hard one because like you can't put a price on the smile you get from big horsepower. Yeah. I mean, chucking things into corners, in my opinion, is where the fun's really at because that's kind of where you see what a car's worth. Yeah. But when you put your foot down and you are pinned in your seat, you can't stop that smile. That kind of thing is priceless to me. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just... I look at those sorts of cars and what you can get comparatively for, say, 100 grand. Like, you could be in a, an M3. You could be in some sort of AMG. You could be in one of those Alfa Romeo Quadrifolio things that just, like, they're like shit on a blanket. And the, the ownership experience is vastly different as well. I mean, owning a HSV is probably cheaper. They chew a lot more fuel, but the maintenance costs, they're a pushrod V8. There's nothing really fancy going on in the suspension, things like that, but yeah, it's hard to compare. You get a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B, and nobody's quite done that yet, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, so somebody's got to before they just completely piss off petrol engines. Do you reckon that's going to happen? <laughs> Let's get into that. See, we actually we talk about this a lot at work, yeah. at enthusiasts, because we're looking very far into the future when we're thinking about how much money we want to make and what claims frequencies are going to be like and electric vehicles are definitely going to rise significantly absolutely yeah manufacturers are starting to make like high performance or high value kind of versions as well yeah. like your dodge that came out recently that that thing looks amazing it's got some question marks like making fake noises and whatnot yeah people will just laugh at that look as far as i'm concerned the only noise the only false noise that should come out of an electric car is a jetson's noise absolutely i was thinking if, about if we're that not earlier. driving around making jetson's noises making everybody giggle don't bother with fake engine noises because they be just it. they're not right they don't work it's just it, i think it's a shame what ford did with the mustang mark e because they really had a chance to do something special and be the first ones to do it they they just named it wrong yeah I know in the States they've dropped the Mustang and it's just a Mackie. That's smart. Um, and that's what it should have been. Yeah. Like, okay, it's got some styling traits of the Mustang. Cool. Yeah. You know, put a, put a little pony here and there on it. Yeah, exactly but, right. But don't market it to start with as a Mustang because it's not. Mustang's it's never not. been an SUV. And now you've got your purists who are just sitting <laughs> yeah. on their high horse watching your back pedal and... and and you've got everybody else in the space that is um, entertaining the idea of electric vehicles and and um, their integration into today's society. Yeah. That, are, that you know, drive them, say, uh, like you, if uh, motor journalists or whatever who yeah. drive them, love them. Yeah. You know, for what they are, they're a great car for their purpose. It's interesting. You know, I mean, so to, to come, I, I don't know, like we could go on, on about that forever, but to come from Ford's side of things, to, to name that a Mustang was a big mistake. Huge. And and the problem with that is now, even if they drop the Mustang completely and they never call it that again, it's too late. It's Everybody already is. Everyone's yeah. seen it. We all know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it should be interesting to see the way things come into play. Yeah. I think these um, banning production of petrol engines by XY years, so 2025 or 2030, that's come up in conversation with on the insurance side of things people are worried that people in kind of the insurance industry are worried about what are we going to do with the vehicles we have insured now is it going to be harder to get parts for them the ones that are built leading up to this electric only what's that going to do for your 24 month new car replacement sort of thing because a lot of people value that sort of uh, I guess add on value add on yep. 
And if they buy a car in 2024 and then in 2025 when they don't make it anymore, they want that car because they wanted that car for the rest of their life, what do they do then? So, this, yeah, sorry, it doesn't exist. Yeah, this yeah. is a big responsibility on us to do our part, but also for manufacturers to kind of support their customers before they just say, sorry, no more petrol. Yeah. Now, that in itself, no more petrol, I, I don't think it's feasible. No. I don't either. For one, I've seen the, the stations that make the power <laughs> to, yeah. to charge these electric cars. Like it, it doesn't come crazy. from nowhere. And just, <laughs> it does. you see a lot of, I don't know, imagine out here in the Nepean, really, really hot day, everyone's running their air conditioners, every shopping centre's pumping out air conditioners and HVAC systems chew electricity. They love it. Yeah. What happens when all of a sudden there's 150,000 cars on charge? Exactly. Like, what? who's who's planning that part? Because I don't feel bad for them at all. That's, yeah. that's a punish. Yeah. I could, I could, you know, just a, a, a very easy sort of demonstration, I guess, would be my area, right? We've got maybe 300 houses mm-hmm. in this area, probably about, maybe a little more. But if every single person was to come home of an evening from work and put their cars on charge at the same time, this whole area just boom. Yeah. On, on a summer's day, they're getting home, chucking the air gone on. They just, they've just plugged their car in, so it's peak charge, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's... The load on the system would be outrageous. We are not ready for it. Like yeah. as a, in Australia, we're not ready for it, and I, I won't even go into the the debacles they're having in like LA, right? Where they're yeah. where they're um, and that, that's without. I'm not even talking the latest electric grid system oh, debacle wow. that they've had. They're having issues with um, charging stations, the billing, uh, the delivery. Um, the amount of charges that are still working. Oh. People just using them as car parks because they have a green vehicle, right? Oh, right. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a sneaky little loophole, isn't it? You know what I mean? So in a, in a lot of car parks, you're looking anywhere here in Sydney, a yeah. lot of the car parks are a green car park with a charger. Yeah. That's cool. I'll just park here because I have a green car. Exactly, yeah. So I'm allowed to. You get someone that then needs to charge and they can't because someone's just parked there. Yeah. And as that increases itself, um, I'll use Westfields of Penrith as an example. I'm looking for a car park one day. I ended up all the way up the top, as you do. I think in the four levels of parking in that one area, there were two spots where you could recharge your car, and there would have been 3,000 parking spots in those multiple levels. Yeah. So, and you, they obviously have to be in a specific spot. You can't just run an extension lead through the car park. No, that's with right. Bloody power balls on it. So there's, there's so much more to it than just... We're being good for the environment yeah. and stopping petrol. Let's go, guys. It's it's a wild system to support it all. It is. It is. So I don't think we're ever going to be completely ready for full electric. I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. It's it's just too much. So I don't know what the go is because we were seeing government mandates saying that everything has to be electric by what I, I won't put a year on it, but it's you know we're seeing like twenty thirty or twenty forty or something like that. Yeah, it's not long. Like but, it's not even a quarter of a lifetime away. Yeah, so that's worrying. So now you take into to a to into account. Let's go. Let's drive from Sydney to Melbourne. Mm. Yeah. If we're having the same, if we're going to have the same issues that they're having, say from LA to Vegas, which is four hundred odd k's. Yeah. We're double that Sydney yeah. to Melbourne. Yeah, like they're having they're having issues because they, they okay for the most part they can make that there on one trip one one charge right full charge will get them let's say ninety five percent of the way there yeah. they'll have to top up 
somewhere close to where their destination is yeah so that they can still drive around while they're there yeah right okay that's cool let's let's get our fast charger that gets them there in 40 minutes to an hour yeah they've got to sit there and wait if they get straight in plug in and shit works yeah you know what I mean (laughs) it's so far not good yeah Um, so if we're doing something similar and if we're going to have the same issues they're having with the billing um, you know they're they're getting issues with plugging in going to charge the billing failing so charge stopping oh okay unplug hang the thing up plug it back in try again fail again okay let's move to the next one and then when they finally get it running it's only running at half capacity yeah. And so, so experience completely. So we've gone now from forty minutes to eighty minutes. Yeah. Okay. Well, now I've got to sit here for eighty minutes while there's people lined up behind us at a charging station where there's eight chargers, but only half of them work. Yeah, it takes away the kind of glossy fun factor that I know Tesla's. When you do a long distance route, it like it, it will take you via these charging yeah. stations. Yep. And I'm assuming other EVs do the same. Yeah. It's, it just makes sense. But if everybody is doing the same trip in the same sort of vehicle, needing the same sort of recharge, what, what's, what's the point? <laughs> it's got to be nuts, man. Like we, so we're, we're trying to do double the distance, right? So we're going to have to charge at least once. Yeah, yeah, like a full charge, yeah. That's just on a trip to Melbourne, which took, you know, for us to jump in our cars now, we'll get there in a tank of fuel. Yeah. Well, you know, like one and a bit. Yeah. We'll, we'll fill up on the way. Um, and that'll take us nine hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. You know what I mean? Now add another hour and a half, two to three hours. Yeah, you can of charging. Have to drive any faster? Of charging. Um, that makes it, it essentially makes that a two day trip. It does. It'll likely mean a lot so, more uh, domestic airfares and planes aren't electric. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I don't think they're going to be anytime soon. Yeah, so. I don't know how we're going to go, man. It's um, I don't have the answers, obviously, but yeah, I don't know how we're going to go. There's a lot of question marks, and so I, many. I feel bad for the person having yeah. to answer that. And I mean, you know, I mean, you, you look sort of. This is it's a bit. It's not even a close likeness, really, or analogy. But you look at you know the the carbureted market to the injected market. Yeah. Everybody was so scared about injection when it first came in. Yeah. Oh no, that's fucking, that's no good because nobody knows how to work on injected cars. Yeah. Now that's the opposite, right? You get very few amount of dudes who know how to work on carbies. Yeah. Everyone, everybody can every, wizards. Yeah. And um, everybody can punch shit in on their laptop and they're they're good to go. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, so that's that's not the not a, a great analogy of the situation, but. I feel like we're going to get a lot of that too. Like there's going to be a lot of that crossover. Yeah. Where everybody was scared to go electric, but it'll be a big shift like that. Yeah. I think it won't be like when Commodores went from VS to VT, and people like that looks like shit. Yeah. We're talking about a complete <laughs> change of technology, and yeah. like apprenticeships are going to change things, yeah. like all the way yeah. down to the education. It's just it's just a big thing, and the government just makes it sound so simple by saying we're going to stop selling gasoline engines there's a lot more to it than just a nice press conference that's right scary scary man so how does that look on your end like it's interesting um a lot of insurers including ourselves when we first started covering electric vehicles it was definitely like fraught with question marks so we offer full choice of repairer, so we don't maintain a repairer network at all. So when people email through and say, hi, I've been 
doing panel beating for 20 years. I want to be on your network. We just, we're sorry. We give our customers full choice. We don't tell them or refer them to anyone. But who with a Tesla, apart from going back to Tesla, is going to know who they can go to? So it's almost like we need to put time and effort into being able to support our customers on that front. Yeah. Because right now, if someone was to ring and say, I've, I've damaged my Camaro, I don't know where to go. Like I personally have very good experiences with panel beaters in Sydney if they're from there. And I can yeah. say, look, here's who I would recommend. Go and have a chat with them, see if you like them. But if somebody rings me and says, oh, my Tesla just got smacked in the the one-piece glass roof has got a crack all the way through it and the next one coming into the country is 18 months away and that's their only choice. So it's going to maybe lead to more vehicle write-offs because we have to be able to settle a claim within a reasonable amount of time legally. So if we can't do that, they can't be left without a car or without the money to replace yeah. that you can't just drag it on for 18 months ago. Oh, sorry. You know, yeah, so there's a potential for there to be a lot of parts cars out there because there's just no feasible way to repair them in a reasonable time for customers. So uh, I'm laughing now because especially, you know, you bring up a Tesla, for example. Um, you can't use them on any other network. So no. so you've got spares. Sure, okay, you know, spares, I need it for my Tesla. Right? I need another motor. Yeah. Or I need this part for my Tesla. But if you're looking at the full drive line and, and something like that, you know, so all the people that are doing all these um, retro retrofits yeah. and all that, they're struggling so hard with Tesla stuff because you can't use their fast charge network because you don't have a VIN. Yeah, and it, it all talks to each other. Yeah. All the major componentry knows which part it should yeah. be talking to down to the serial number. Yeah. So what do you do with all these yeah. parts? Especially battery packs. You can't just toss them in the landfill and call it a day. No, that's right. It's pretty pretty interesting, <laughs> kind of the, the, the half-life of yeah. the vehicle once it's at a point where it's no longer usable. Like, yeah. It's just it's interesting. I'd like to see what the solutions are to that. Yeah, I think the, f- the future's um, an interesting-looking place at the moment. Yeah. I know a lot of the other manufacturers, they're not that they're not that sort of strung up on themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're like, oh, if you want to use our motors for some other build, then yeah. no problem. I think that freedom of ownership is really yeah. important because yeah. say you're spending $100,000 on a brand-new EV, that is then your property. Like, you could do with it as as you please within the, the legalities that yeah. we get all adhere to I'll just of course we do yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, but when you go out and buy a Tesla it breaks and you can't use it anymore then it's it's a brick what, what do you do with it you got a hundred thousand dollar brick yeah I mean I'm, I'm sure it'd be comfy to sit in on, on a cool <laughs> afternoon having a beer but you're not going to make any friends with it when all you can do is play games on the centre console <laughs> yeah make fart noises and whatnot. <sighs> Uh, man, I think we got well off topic there, but that's cool. Yeah, love that's a segue. Good. So let's um let's get over to Willow's detail code, uh, your sort of latest brain baby, and yeah, it um you... it just kind of came about during COVID. I was always just going to town on my own cars, polishing. Became. I'm glad you sort of went. Yeah, <laughs> elaborated there. <laughs> it became just this what am I going to do today during lockdown? I'm like, well, my car's clean, but there's this new product out. I'm going to try that. Or there's these new pads out for my polisher. I'm going to try those out. And then dove right into ceramic coatings and things like that. And um, my daily is a R36 Passat wagon. And at one point, 
every panel or group of panels had a different polishing technique, different pad, different compounds used. There were three different types of ceramic coating on the car, and it was just a daily driven test car. And that was fantastic, because being a sole trader, doing that sort of stuff, I could go to people's properties if they were at a business location and detail their cars and kind of help them out and help myself out getting some more experience across other types of vehicles because anybody who's worked on the body on a Volkswagen group car, so Porsche, Audi, Volkswagen, things like that, the paint is hard. You can punish it and still get a good result. So working on cars with thinner paints, like your newer cars, you have to be very careful and it kind of all loops into the mentality of detailing that I've taken on, which is least aggressive to most aggressive. You don't want to go in with 2,000 grit wet sanding on a 2022 Ford Transit because you will very quickly find bare metal. So it's just all about the patience aspect and my OCD and just looking for the best possible results while also figuring out the way to do that better for the customers moving forward so you're not using time and money of theirs to figure out how to do it. You've already got your kind of process dialed in. And I just I gravitated towards that very quickly. It's very exciting to me. <laughs> so you get to nerd out pretty heavily on, on all the, all the uh, aspect, different oh, aspects, yeah. yeah. And there's some pros out there that will just blow your mind with details so the guys at leading edge detail at roselle or sandro down at carcraft auto detailing in melbourne the research and the time in their personal lives that they put into kind of testing every new product and putting it through wild situations and testing and they're doing that for free and putting it on youtube so other detailers or other enthusiasts who want to use these products can get an idea for it I can't tell you how valuable that sort of is, especially Sandra. He is, in my opinion, Australia's greatest detailer. His videos are very in-depth. The types of cars he works on vary wildly. So everything from old cars with single-stage paint to brand-new cars with multi-layer clears like your Bentleys and your Rolls-Royces. And you just can't go past that. And a big focus at the moment in the detailing industry is breaking down the walls between detailers. So... There's, there's quite a fantastic community in Sydney, New South Wales itself. Uh, Aaron Lynn is a member of Ground Level. He is a superstar. So there's been a few times where I've been working on a car and I've gotten a result that was far from ideal. And I've just sent him pictures or sent him in a quick message saying, this is what's happening. And the answer's back within seconds. Try this. And it's worked every time. And that's the kind of thing you want to see between all detailers because you might see someone on uh, an Instagram post say, how did you get that result? And the response might come back with experience. And like that's, that's a, not a false answer or anything, but that's really a good opportunity to share your knowledge and experience with someone. It's not everybody's trying to take money out of your pocket. That's really only the $50 details on eBay, sorry, on Facebook that we're talking about there. But that's it's really good to see that community sharing more and not expecting anything in return because you give some, you take some, it all goes around, everyone's happy, customers are happy because they're getting someone with more knowledge based off that kind of community aspect. Yeah, that's really cool. We can liken that to, um, you know, I've had Carl Fisher on um, and he's the same way with his metal shaving. So yeah. you can use basic tools to get the outcome you want and he's how to do it. Yeah. 
and um, I've I've gone off watching his videos a bit lately, not because I don't like them, because they're going he's going right into detail now. His his videos are getting into like an hour long, oh, wow. so they're one of the things now I've got to. I've got to put time aside, yeah, yeah, <laughs> specifically to watch it. Schedule it, and um, the fact that people can is amazing. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and the same thing in the, the uh, detailing community: the fact that people are sharing um, their experiences instead yeah. of just saying, "Oh, I've got that's how I got this yeah. from experience." It, the fact that they're actually sharing it is amazing. Um, you know, especially when you look at most trades in Australia, they're so cutthroat. No one wants yeah. to share anything. It, it is interesting like that. I mean, what's you see some going over to like other trades, like fab, car fabrication, like hot speed shops, I'll call them. Some shops will post up 10 pictures of a finished car. You won't have seen anything but that finished car, and that's great. That's their business card. That's how they show people how great their stuff is. You've got other shops out there. Um, I'll use Aaron Gregory, Memphis Hell as an example. He'll make kind of some custom hinge but you won't see that custom hinge until the 10th image on that post leading up to that he's got it broken down and his diagram and how he made it work and like that shows real confidence in their abilities that they can show you how they did it because they're not scared for people to know the time and effort it goes into things and yeah. worried about someone stealing their bread out of their pocket <clears throat> I think that's a better thing anyway because when it comes down to it, when people are watching that and seeing that, they're like, wow, this actually does take time. This thing doesn't just appear yeah. out of nowhere. Yeah. Right? You don't just have that on the shelf. You've got fucking 40 of those things, and you're <laughs> yeah. charging me a 1000 bucks for one. This is ridiculous. It so kind of takes you like, back to, like, your, uh, your overhauling and shows like that where all of a sudden a car is brand yeah. new, ready to go. I mean, it's, it's just interesting like that, the way that, I guess, the media has influenced the way people yeah. think yeah. things work. Like, if you had $100,000 in your car, you're not winning any trophies. Yeah. it's There's a lot of time and money and the right people, and the same goes for detailing as well. Like, if you take it to a fella on Facebook who says, I'll do your whole car polish and ceramic for $50, but you take your car into a professional shop like Leading Edge, as mentioned at Roselle, and they are asking thousands for the same thing, you've got to ask those questions. Like, are they too expensive, or is this guy just going to spray my car with a hose and leave and call it a day and take my 50 bucks it's it's definitely interesting across the trades I'll, I'll say trades detailing definitely is not a trade but across the trades and services like that just yeah. the difference that you get for your money yeah it's wild so what was it about detailing that sort of caught you to break it down into the simplest possible thing it's the before and after yeah i love that sort of transition even when I'm midway through a car if I'm about to polish a bonnet like really get it down to perfection before ceramic coating I'll run a line of masking tape down the middle and do one side before I do the other and then kind of look at what we've got here and that sort of thing on video on a camera is just the most satisfying thing to me I really like giving people more than what they kind of expected so undersell, over-deliver is the classic kind of mentality for a lot of people doing manual work sort of thing. Yep. So I think the satisfaction is in that. So I kind of, when I look at a car, I have a pretty good idea of how it's going to come up. And then the excitement is just chasing it through the process, sticking to the process, knowing that you're going to get there, and then just being able to deliver that to someone 
who might have been sceptical. They might be thinking, why am I paying hundreds of dollars just to get my car cleaned? But then it comes back better than they've ever seen it. Or if it's a relatively new car, better than it was when they picked it up from the dealer. And it's great just to kind of really satisfy someone like that. Yeah, nice. Yeah. That's really cool. So... You mentioned sort of, you know, like the, the sharing of information and, and experience through the community. Um, is there anything you've sort of picked up that you now use in your day-to-day? Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's some little tricks that I never had thought of before. So when you start doing it, you obviously figure out a way that works for you time-wise, efficiency-wise, and you kind of get into that routine because you, you know exactly how you're going to go start to finish on each car. Some cars, the doors might close in a different way or the water runoff might be different through the panel gaps and things like that, and you don't account for that. So you might go on a, say, I'll use a VY Commodore as an example. So if you clean all your door jams first and then close up all the doors and then start blasting the initial layer of dirt off, snow foam it down, everything's kind of cascading down. Like the gaps between the, particularly the B pillar, if you were to open the door again after you've got this beautiful, clean, dry car on the outside and you've already cleaned those door jams, you'll open those doors and it will be filthy because all of that gunk has gone down there and it just gets stuck. Just stays there. Whereas with a lot of other cars, it'll just run straight down and just be a lot easier to deal with. So you have to kind of, on some cars, open the doors, look in the rain gutters, open the boot, the bonnet, figure out where your water's going to go and what it's going to do and just go from there everything kind of goes back to education and YouTube again is the biggest biggest source of that it's crazy hey like <clears throat> who would have thought 10 years ago that you could go to this place yeah. on the internet and find out everything find out how to do every single thing anything you could possibly want to do yeah I could build stained glass windows in a month <laughs> if I really applied myself but it's it is very interesting like that. So even fabrication, like calligraphy, like it doesn't matter. You're you're 100% right. You can learn anything on there. We had, um, it was look, Jimmy and Chucky, yeah. who are, for, for the listeners, good friends of, of ours. We've yeah. known for a long time. We were having a conversation one night going, oh, we wanted to start like a like a, like a podcast or, or something else that we can do together. And I came up with this idea, like, is it on YouTube? Yeah. You know what I mean? Which... You try and rack your brain throughout the week and come in with like three different things. Like, is this on YouTube? <clears throat> and you come in with information like, okay, um, like you're saying, stained glass windows. Yeah. Can I make a stained glass window off YouTube? Bang, bang, bang. And you research that through the week. <clears throat> We're going to do like three different things awesome. and come together and talk about that. And um, I, th- I thought that would have been a really cool way to sort of find out if there is anything that isn't on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, you, know you could I mean? really get through it, couldn't you? Yeah. That's great. And um, and through that, you know, hopefully you've built yourself a bit of a listener base. And obviously, this was all an idea that never went anywhere. So, yeah. you guys, if you want to do this, it's free to take it, take it and run. Get on it. But you know, like you get listeners then that go, okay, that's not on YouTube. I do that. Yeah, I can put that on YouTube. There's always an audience. <clears throat> you know, yeah. So that was a cool little side thing. That yeah. We, we sort of we thought about it and went, that's actually a really good idea. Like, is it on YouTube? Never went anywhere with it. You go a long way with that one. Yeah. You go right down the rabbit hole. Yeah. You know, there's there's a few things like, you know, when you get into sort of photography and and when you're getting real specific with things. Yeah. 
there's some things that just aren't on YouTube. Like, oh, yeah, how do I find that? I can't find that. Or how to do this one specific thing. Like, you've got to get specific. Yeah. To, to not be able to find it. It's probably there, but, you know, keywords, right? Exactly yeah, right. So. The old SEO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I say, <clears throat> how many times have you have you washed that, that Commodore and then, you know, detailed the hell out of it and it's all nice and clean, then you open the door and go, fuck is that? <laughs> Look, I forgot once. to clean that again. <laughs> more than once. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. You try your hardest to have the right plan, but any detailer will tell you there's always going to be something. So you might have just completely cleaned out a car, and the last thing you always do is put tyre shine on, because that is that is the icing on the cake. When you see a car with nice, glossy black tyres, it looks a million dollars. But sometimes you'll put that tie black on and kind of step back and you might have a wheel with a really flat barrel and then you'll notice that you didn't quite clean the barrel well enough. So at least that one wheel is almost back to square one. You can't just reach in with a microfiber and give it a rub. Like that's just not what customers are paying for. So sometimes you do chew a bit into your time, which then again chews into your money and you might have another job next where you're then disappointing them by not turning up on time. But it just kind of brings you back to no matter how good you think your process is, you still have to have your eye on it and get it yeah. done. You have that kind of mental checklist yeah. that you run through. Everything looks clean when it's wet is the best kind yeah. of mentality to have. So is that when you, you just drive off while it's wet? That's the that's Basically, a trick, right? yeah. <laughs> Spray it out. Yeah, she's good, mate. She's good, cheers. you just got to, yeah. especially with things like wheels, where sometimes you can't see everything you're cleaning, so you've got very specific tools and chemicals to kind of get behind there, like even a microfiber cloth wrapped around your hand and kind of doing questionable wrist movements around the spokes to get the back of them. Yeah. That's what you're being paid to do. You're not being paid to wash a car. You're being paid to detail the car. And you just got to stay focused. Like sometimes the headphones have got to come out because the music's too distracting. Yeah. It's, it's definitely something where if you're not focused on it, you could do a really bad job and get a really bad reputation very quickly. Yeah. So with, you obviously do the interiors as well, yeah? Yeah, I, I actually started off on a professional side doing interiors. Like, that's kind of what I was focused on. Yeah. And using steam and air conditioner vents and using little soft brushes and vacuums on all the little tricky spots. Uh, I really got into carpet extraction, so really wetting down the carpet, using a, a very soft brush on a drill really getting in there and then using an extractor head on a wet and dry back and really sucking everything out and the satisfaction of seeing the color of the liquid that came up through the clear extractor head it was just it was very very satisfying (laughs) so i did that for quite a while probably six months i was really focused on interiors and the exterior sort of stuff i was just doing detailed basic washes i wasn't really polishing or ceramic coating at that point yeah but the interior is where you spend all your time and if you're lucky enough you when you're walking away from your car and you look over your shoulder that's when you really appreciate the clean exterior but i think a lot of focus is on the exterior and the paint correction and ceramic coating and graphene coating that's really that's glamorized in the community but i think what is really important is a very clean very sanitized and very well protected interior the technology going into fabric and leather care at the moment is astounding. So I've got Alcantara seats in my car and I've just put a G-Technic coating on them. I could pour a bottle of water on it and none of it would dry on the seat. It would all run off and be on the carpet. 
And that sort of thing is very valuable for someone who's just spent $150,000 on a new X5 that their kids are going to spill chocolate milkshakes in. So it's good to see that the industry itself is thinking more about the ownership experience after the detail rather than just the, the, the beautiful exterior. What makes it look good, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, cool, the interior's clean and it looks amazing. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. You s- spill a Coke in your passenger footwell. Yeah. Which, which I've done, by the way. Yeah. And modern seats, especially in performance cars, yeah. with mixed materials and crevices and openings and you've got perforated leathers with heating and cooling going through them. Like, yeah. you really have to make sure you're not doing anything to kind of obstruct those features. Cause yeah. Nobody wants an expensive car that doesn't work the way it should just because some guy came and did his thing without knowing what he's doing. Knowing what his thing was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. That's really cool. What are some of the coolest cars you've worked on? Coolest cars? Look, I'm very lucky to have one customer who has a variety of cars. Uh, so CV8 Monaro, SSV Redlines, things like that. Those sort of things, to me, are really cool because... I see a lot of them around and I see some that are in terrible shape and then I can really appreciate the time and effort that's gone into one that I've worked on and kind of not to pat yourself on the back or anything, but it brings you a bit of pride knowing there's one out there that you've worked on that if they wanted to sell that, it's worth more than the one that's over there that's got swirl marks and dings and whatnot and things like that. I think commercially from from like an outsider's point of view, the coolest car I've worked on was a 20, 2010 Mercedes SLS. So the modern recreation with the going doors. The going doors. And that was cool. Yeah. Just being in the presence of a car like that. It's just, it's hard to explain, but any, anybody who has a thing for cars would get it. So there's something about it. Hey, I mean, like we can, well, you know, I'm playing with a fucking EK Civic. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all the way up until that, I've played with just nuggets, just yeah. old shit boxes and whatever else. So to sort of, you know, you're absolutely right when you're standing in the presence of something like that. It's, I don't know, like it gives off an aura or something, you know, like there's a, there, there is a presence about it. Yeah. And you're just... like, I shouldn't even be near you, my grubby little hands coming out of my that's in 720U. Exactly. It's right. Dusty as hell, you know what I mean? Like, it's the kind of thing that it just it connects somehow like the passion in your brain and in your heart just kind of meets in the middle where your mouth is and just these unexplainable smiles just start happening (laughs) and some people will never get it I mean where car people often refer to as being like horsey people there's just something there that makes you love that thing and you can't explain why so it's, it's definitely interesting trying to explain that to someone who doesn't like cars or doesn't like detailing or doesn't have an interest in either whatsoever and they're just like but I can go to this car wash over here and I can drive through it and my car's clean and the cringe that it brings (laughs) it's it's all like care levels and education and this and that like some people will buy a bottle of white label Jim Beam some other people won't spend anything less than a bottle of Buffalo Trace or something like that it's just interesting for sure sure have you have you done a lot of like pre-sale uh details yeah 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 surprisingly actually it wasn't something that i really wanted to focus on because to me that is just a high level of cleaning a car so when somebody is going to trade in their car that's generally where they get it the most because they want the highest possible trade-in but they don't 
necessarily need the best quality lasting finish. Yeah. So just needs to look good for that day. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So a lot of people will ring up, ask for information on things, and then you one of the first things you say is this a pre-sale detail? Because if someone, if I went to someone and wanted my card detailed, and they said it's eight hundred dollars, done. Eight hundred dollars. You're doing this, 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 and this. Here's the problem spots I want you to look at. No problem. And you get back a nice, reasonably polished car. You probably wouldn't be looking at a hundred percent paint correction, but you'd have a very well detailed car. If it's a pre-sale detail, you might spend half the time on the interior, and you're just looking for the obvious things that will catch the eye of whoever's assessing that car at the dealership. It's just a different kind of detail in itself. You just want it very clean. You don't want any oil anywhere or any handprints. And as long as the glass is nice and transparent, it generally gets the job done and saves the customer money. Yeah. Because they don't need something that they're going to try and enjoy. Yeah, obviously, they, they don't want to spend the big dollars on it because they're trying to get a trade-in, right? Exactly right, yeah. If, if someone was selling on the private market and it's more of an enthusiast vehicle or a prestige vehicle then the gap becomes smaller because you know the kind of people that are going to be looking at that yeah. car. And from my perspective with my background, I would start looking at things that I would look for as an insurer because we pay very close attention to that sort of thing when doing valuations. And it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting having a different experience in the background, kind of pushing you into what you're doing at that point in time. Yeah. So what kind of things would you be looking for? I guess, as a, oh, it's it's kind of hard to say, isn't it? Because you you'd be looking at it as as a buyer, yeah, <laughs> as an insurer and as a detailer, yeah. Um, let's let's give that the, the VF Commodore. Right? Yeah. We'll give that the, we'll give that a run. You're going to pick up one of those. Go and look at one of those in pretty reasonable condition. Yeah. Um, what kind of things are you looking for? I always go straight to the wheels. Yep. So with a car like that with a nice open design wheel, you can see the barrel of the wheel straight away you can see if it's been cleaned recently if it looks like it's ever been cleaned at all and then from there you kind of think if it's filthy and dirty and it's heavily brake dusted you're starting to think okay they've never cleaned that where else haven't they cleaned you start looking around door jams particularly kind of in where the front guard is looking towards the front of the door in the channels around the bonnet open up the boot look in the channels around there open the fuel cap if there's fuel stains in there if it still has one. Yep, exactly. <laughs> Being a Commodore, it's a gamble. You just start looking for those places that you know you as a detailer would do because that's what separates a detail from a wash, but then you're going to get an idea of how much they really care about this car. Yeah. And then interiors next. It's just the difference in cars I've seen that are three years old, like next to each other, almost identical cars, and the way they're treated is wild. My biggest nemesis when it comes to interior is makeup on leather steering wheels. It just gets everywhere. I can't tell you how many times I've had to pull out. Uh, Car Pro makes a very, very soft brush. It's almost as soft as like a, a makeup brush itself. And you have to lather it up with your all-purpose cleaner, wet down the entire steering wheel, and you're just doing little circles around the steering wheel for half an hour, going back around, wiping it off, inspecting it, doing it again. And that is just time-consuming. So you start looking for things like that in other people's cars, especially when you're trying to buy a car, because the first thing I want to do when I buy a car is take it home and detail it to the level I want my car to be at. 
and that could influence my buying but usually it just influences what I'm going to offer that person yeah there's um there's been discussion about uh, Lexus ISFs and what they're doing at the moment there is one for sale at the moment for 35 which is crazy low for that sort of car but uh went and had a quick look at it the creamy bone leather and the black paint it was shot to shit uh it would have been probably three full days on the machine getting the paint yeah. back up to spec and on the leather itself because you don't want to go with harsh chemicals you would kind of just be doing a process repeat over and over again just to get it back to where it should be and that's that sort of stuff kind of turns you off buying cars even though you've got the skills and the products to do it yeah you can't tell this person that's selling the car that that would cost you on a business level four thousand dollars to do it without them thinking that you're just some asshole trying to lowball taking it for a ride yeah yeah so have you have you had people um have you look at cars for that particular purpose or yeah yeah, so a friend of my father's, I was recently up in Coffs Harbour visiting them and had a couple of beers on the Friday night and Dad brought his mates over and he's like, oh, it was actually he was going to look at a VX GTS, so the first of the 300 kilowatt ones. Yep. So I'm going to have a look at car tomorrow. Do you reckon you can come with me? Went with him, had a look at it. It was average at best and everybody who knows HSVs and Commodores knows to look at the side skirt by the driver's door because legs rub on there and things like that. And the clear had been worn down so hard that it was past repair. So it needed to be completely sanded back. So it looks like my Civic. <laughs> Basically, yeah, the clear coat just has yeah. not just seen better days, it's got no days left. Yeah. And he ended up using that as a negotiation tactic, and that worked for him. He saved himself $8,000 buying that car because he happened to be a spray painter and he could do that himself. And it was just, it's interesting like that. Yeah to be kind of useful in an aspect that's outside what I would be usually doing as yeah. a detailer. It's, um, it's, it's pretty satisfying to help someone out like that. Well, it gives you a... I sound like Liam Mason from Taken here. It gives you a certain set of skills, though, yeah. doesn't it? Like, you know, you like, you've got your insurance background. You've got your detailing background. Those two together really make you someone to take. Yeah. Shopping, car shopping, you know. like, And it's fun, too. Like, who doesn't like going to look at cars? Like, yeah. There's nothing more exciting than getting worst, a new car. Worst case, you're looking at a shitbox and you walk away from it. Exactly. Best case, you're looking at something really cool. Yeah. And um, you can help your friend get a couple of thousand bucks off it or something. Yeah, that's always good. Yeah. That's always good. I love to see people saving money because that $2,000 they might not spend on the purchase, that's going straight into mods for that car. You just know yeah. what's happening. Yeah. That's cool, that. So, um... No, blank. It's gone. <laughs> this is what happens when you um, when you don't prepare anything. Is there anything you can think of to, to chat about? To... Look, the biggest thing that comes up in the detailing world as a from customers is what is ceramic coating? Why do I need it? Why don't I need it? What does it do? It's a big kind of question mark and I think historically for the past I don't know five to ten years everyone's just assumed that if you want your car to be clean and look the best it can you get it ceramic coated and in some cases that's correct in a lot of cases it's not I mean most cars will look better with a nice wax job because it looks wet and it looks deep and it's glossy and it's slick to the touch and water beads off it and things like that and that's really good for cars to get cleaned very often and looked after very well. But 
for cars that are getting washed every couple of weeks, that live in harsher environments, that might see a, a bit of rain here and there, your ceramic coatings are good, but they're not the be-all and end-all. So the spray sealants these days, if you're the kind of person who gets up on Sunday and washes their car, if your paint's in good shape and it's relatively defect-free, few swirls, things like that, you can put a quick spray sealant on it, use your pressure washer and blast it off. It will be like crazy. Rain won't stick to it. It'll repel dirt, things like that. But the higher level, once you go past those kind of SiO2, I guess, enhanced spray sealants, ceramic coating is interesting. So you want to spend the time and polish your car. You want everything completely contaminant-free. So you're clay barring, you're using iron decontaminants. To get the coating on is maybe a two-hour job, but there's an eight-hour job in general before that, cleaning and decontaminating and smoothing down the paint and all that sort of thing. And the maintenance aspect is never really explained very well to customers. So a lot of people will get their car ceramic coated and think, oh, I don't have to wash it again. It's self-cleaning or things like that. Or they can just wash it like a dickhead with a jumbo sponge and some morning fresh in a bucket. It's... It's guilty. <laughs> it's it's definitely, I think, something that's coming to light more now that there are more detailers on YouTube yeah. saying, especially professional detailers, that will say, when you sell this to a client, also make sure, and this is something I do, you put together a maintenance pack. So you have a couple of different microfiber cloths for different parts of the car. You have a very specific pH neutral wash um, solution I'll call it so a shampoo basically yep. some sort of microfiber wash pad at least one bucket with a grit guard in the bottom to separate the bullshit from the water just those sorts of things usually like a little top up spray so a ceramic sealant so once it's all clean and dry they can give the ceramic coat a top up and that's like your sacrificial layer so if a bird shits on your car then you don't have to worry about it etching your very expensive coating it's um it's something I like myself to try and be very clear and transparent with. So somebody might say, I've got a RAV4 that needs ceramic coating. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. What makes you say it needs a ceramic coating? And then get an idea of what they use it for, where it's going to be parked, how much it's going to be driven, what their lifestyle's like, and are they going to be able to maintain it? Because if I quote someone some exorbitant amount of money to put all this time and effort into their car, and then they don't maintain it, then it's my reputation that's going to fail because they say, oh, I've paid all this money and this is shit. This guy did the worst job. Yeah. It and didn't even of, last three years. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of the, the claims on products that you can get as a professional are three plus years. So it's just interesting. I've got cars that I've ceramic coated and six months down the track, they'll ring me up and say, oh, this ceramic coating's failed. It's not working. I'll go over and say, look, I'll have a look at it for you. I'll take the products I know are going to work to kind of decontaminate that area and I will just do, I'll masking tape off one section of that car, usually on the bonnet. Just give it a quick clean, quick decontaminate, dry it off and then spray a hose across it. And the, the way the water behaves instantly, you kind of give them a nudge and say, so tell me how you were sticking to that maintenance wash schedule again. Yeah. It's, it's interesting like that because you, nobody wants to pay a bunch of money just for something that ends up not doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So if you're not telling your customers how to maintain that sort of thing, then who's to blame? 
they, they aren't the people with the information or the knowledge. It's You've got to be the person to do that. It's like a good landscaper won't just do your garden and piss off. They'll give you all the instructions you need, watering this plant, weeding that area, what to use when this gets mouldy, like all that sort of stuff. It's, it's just... It's important that everybody shares that information, particularly with the people that are paying for it. There shouldn't be any mysteries there. They're paying for more than just your time and effort. They're paying for a year's worth of experience with their car. So the paint on my Civic is a shitload better than it is. <laughs> like it has clear coat, right? Yeah. Well, let's go with this hypothetical. Um, how should I be washing that? Just general day-to-day, if I'm doing it, say, once every two weeks. Yeah. Um, it sounds like I'm, I'm picking up that um, my, my bucket and my super cheap sponge aren't good enough. No, no, they're definitely <laughs> so not. Speak to me. It's uh, so generally what everybody sticks to at a minimum is what we call a two bu- two bucket wash method. So you have two buckets, obviously self-explanatory. Have a grid guard in the bottom, which is just a plastic insert that's the same size and shape as the bottom yep. of your bucket. One will have a nice soapy water try and get a pH neutral one because if it's alkaline or acidic it can affect either coatings or the clear coat itself or rubbers or plastics and things like that you have your one bucket that's all sudsy you have your other one that's not you dip your hopefully some sort of microfiber wash mitt or sponge and then you do a panel say start at the roof like everybody else does flip it over go over it again so you know you're good take that to your bucket of water ring it out, like ring it, rinse it, shake it, get everything possible off there, go back into your sudsy bucket and go to your next panel. So generally it's broken up with you do your roof, you do your turret glass, you do your doors together, you do your guards, boot, guard, guard, bonnet, guard, that sort of thing. So you break it up into sections. Following along with you there. And um, that's, for the body itself, that's generally pretty good. If you've got a pressure washer, that's great. That's always good to get in all your rain gutters and in your door jams and things like that. If you don't, it's not the end of the world. You can wash a car with two buckets and hose. It's it's not going to hurt it. It's more so the technique of the wash and what you're actually using to physically agitate the dirt on the car. Wheels, you can go down a rabbit hole on wheels. So I'll typically have three buckets set up at any wash. Yeah. The wheels get sprayed down with a variety of products. I assume that it also changed depending on the finish of the wheel, right? Whether it's it like a raw finish, um, painted, what have you. Yeah. So you wouldn't use anything alkaline or acidic on a set of Combo Pros, for example, because that metal finish is extremely delicate. Same with anything polished billet. It's it's very, very much a you need to know exactly what you're working with and have the right products ready to go. I've had it happen to me once before where I've gone to a detail thinking I knew what I had in mind and then all of a sudden I realised the wheels were anodized, not painted. So I had to spend 45 minutes to drive down to VG Auto Paints to get the right product because they stock that sort of thing. Yeah. And it just makes you look like a non-professional. So knowing what you're looking at in advance and then having the right products ready to go is very important because there's that many different finishes out there on wheels alone very lucky to work on a lot of cars with powder coated wheels you could get a broom and dip it in a bucket of concrete (laughs) and it'll clean up great but yeah your real delicate stuff you have to be very careful so even down to which brushes am I going to use for this 
that's a game in itself. So I'll have six or seven different brushes in a bucket, and that is fantastic. So that'll get the job done. Wheels are very time-consuming, especially for your intricate stuff, like a lot of 90s BMW wheels. They take time, but the results are worth it. So you, the last thing you want is to pay someone hundreds of dollars to clean your car, and they just hose your wheel and sponge it down and you see through into the wheel barrel you look in where the wheel nut recess is and just valve stem gunk everywhere you, you don't want that and you've got to have the tools and the, the time and the experience to figure out exactly how to do it right what are the what are the worst set of wheels you've had to work on the worst set of wheels they are an OZ racing wheel they're on a friend of mine's work van. So he's got one of the European spec Transit Customs. And he's got these OZ racing wheels. I don't know what model they are. They are a beautiful wheel. But to get to the barrel of the wheel itself, you have to slide your brush in and you've really just given the world's fanciest wristy to your brush. <laughs> and they're just, they're devastatingly hard because there's, I think, per wheel, and this is just the OCD and me counting it as I go around, I think there's 22 gaps in the outside of the wheel. They're very much a turbofan-esque looking wheel. And just getting them clean is one thing, but then trying to dry them so when they then move their car, it doesn't drop water everywhere. It's, it's, it's wild. The results are very good, but the time to get to the results are just crazy. Do you carry anything with you to dry, like like a like an air blower or something like that? Yeah. Exactly that, yeah. yeah. So I've got a cordless Briobi air dryer that just runs off their one plus eighteen volt yeah. battery system. That's fantastic. And drying towels. I, anyone who's used a chamois before in their life needs to get a drying towel. So you'll spend thirty dollars. It's basically a very big two ply microfiber cloth. So usually sixty by ninety. You could dry a whole car with it, but just as an example, you hold it by your corners and you kind of flick it over your roof to the other side, yeah. one drag across, water is gone, car is dead dry. So you could dry a whole car, and this may, again, being OCD, a, a Commodore, for example, I could dry it completely on the exterior in six minutes with the microfiber towel and then opening the doors and all the other apertures I'll call them yeah we'll get with that and just using the blower to get rid of all the standing water and then just a quick wipe down of any drops that are left and if you were to use a chamois you would need to do four or five passes over the roof alone and every time you do a pass you're wringing the thing out it's just a terrible experience and they're terrible for your pain and then you'll you'll get to that stage of um the the tyre shine Oh yeah, and then you'll just see that water drop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, so you spend all that time trying to dry it, and it's still not dry. Like there's yeah. still there's still this mystery water that just turns up from places. Yeah, and the, the blower itself is perfect for wheels because yeah. around the bead of the tire, especially. Yep. I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've thought I've gotten all the water and I've put the tire shine on. I've taken a step back to admire it, and you just see one drop of water go down the very bottom of the face of the tire. Oh. You just sigh, and you get any cloth you don't care at that point, and just wipe it, and then retire black it, just to make sure it's consistent again. The the final walk around of any car is always the most humbling experience because it really lets you know exactly how well you've done. Yeah. If you can walk around with a cloth in your hand and it comes back clean and dry, the satisfaction is through the roof. How how OCD were you before starting out? 
in this avenue? I would say marginally less OCD. So you just... You, a, a lot of people do it. I know I do it. You start to become hypercritical when you're in a process of things and you're like, I've, I've just done all these things and now I've got this. God, I'm, I'm a dickhead. I can't believe I've done this. And then the next time you do that process, it, you click when you're doing that part of the, the, the car. So like a wheel well, for example, if you missed a spot on the last car, you're like, oh, I did this really well. And you'll go around again and you'll dry it off. And like, shit, I didn't do the inside of the exhaust pipes. And these days with the way exhausts are, they've got, you've got your muffler behind the bar and then the exhaust opening's not even connected to the actual tailpipe of the car. So you've got to make sure you get that clean because nobody's going to believe it's dirty from exhaust soot. It's just you being a lazy detailer. <laughs> it's, the OCD has kicked up a level. I think it's a necessity because you want to constantly be chasing yourself to figure out how you can be better. It's it's pretty important, I think. If, if the OCD element isn't there, then it's probably not the job for you. So has it had that effect? Has it given you more OCD? Oh, hugely. Yeah. Hugely, yeah. <laughs> does that does that impact like your day, just your day to day life now? Oh, uh, it kind of does. Yeah. Like I'll use doing the dishes as an example. I've, I've developed this process now for doing the dishes, and <laughs> I can picture with two buckets. Oh, yeah, <laughs> two I buckets use, and three different towels and microfibers everywhere. <laughs> I, I do it actually cleaning the bathroom or cleaning the tiles in in the laundry. I'll use different cloths and different chemicals, and I know exactly which chemicals I have for each room in the house and things like that. What cleaner I'll use on the inside of a glass door versus the outside. I clay barred my shower screen the other day and look, the results were amazing. I used that and a little bit of sulfuric acid diluted down and I've never had a cleaner shower screen and those are my wheel cleaning tools. <laughs> That's awesome. I um, Speaking of the clay bar, I had you come around a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I still haven't put that other headlight in. But oh. <laughs> But I had you. I think I posted a photo of yep. of the um, the Civic on Facebook or something. You said, "Please let me let me look after those yeah, headlights for you." I was dying. Oh, headlights. Like, oh, hell yeah, man! Come and have a look at them. So you came around, and the first thing you did was hit him with a yeah, you know, little bit of I'm assuming um, pH neutral water and, yeah. and the clay bar. Exactly right. Yeah. I couldn't believe the shit that came off onto that clay bar. It's it's wild. I'm like, I, like. For me, yeah. my my simple train of thought, I've, I've cleaned, I've wiped them down, you know, and yeah, and I thought they were nice and clean, and the, and the stuff that you pull it off it with that was unreal. It's pretty interesting. I think one of the most satisfying parts of um, this, so your normal detail, you get to a point, it's clean, it's dry, it's got some sort of light protection on it. When you start moving into paint decontamination, which is kind of like the step between a clean car and then moving on to polishing there's two specific steps that you'll work on in, for most cases. One will be some sort of iron decontamination spray. Mind-blowing, especially on a light-coloured car. So you'll give the whole car a mist of this product. It's very pungent. It's very reactive. It, it basically dilute, dilutes and liquefies iron particles and like road fallout and stuff like that. It turns purple. So on a white car that's never been polished before, that might be 10, 15 years old, goes to and from work every day, lives near a train station in particular, your whole car will just look like it's bleeding purple. And that's just iron dissolving. Pressure wash that off and give it a little bit of a feel. If you can still feel a little bit of grit in it, then you break out the clay bar and that's when you really start to see some stuff come off the car. It's 
it's literally just like a piece of plasticine and it comes in varying different, uh, I'm going to say viscosities or densities. And you could do one panel and then flip it over onto your palm and it's black. But you were just looking at this white car and there was nothing black on it. But it's just pulled out all these particles of shit out of the paint. Once you finish doing that and you give it a wash down, it's just so glassy. You can only feel the actual deep scratches and things like that. And that's satisfying. So I think probably the best things to clay bar are headlights and glass. Windscreens, you quickly clay bar a windscreen. It'll take you 45 seconds to a minute if you're being pretty efficient about it. The next time it rains, the water will just piss off the glass. It's ridiculous. But yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. So what is it? What, what does a clay bar actually do? What is it? How does, it, how does it work? It's sticky, really. Yeah, right. So it's it's malleable to the point where it will glide over. So on the leading edge of the clay, it will slightly glide over something, but then there's a very small amount of friction on the larger surface area of the bottom, yep. and that will pick up kind of whatever is there and just stick to it because of that kind of plasticine characteristic. And you're going back backwards and forwards, basically. You're not putting any pressure on it. You're using some sort of spray lubricant to make it glide over the paint. Yep. But there's, there's not much that can get away from it. There are sometimes bugs or tar or anything like that. And you might be able to do a quick spray with some sort of citrus-based degreaser, and that will dissolve that fairly quickly. Yep. But if you know you're going to polish a car, you just go straight to the clay. Because you don't want to do... a two and a half hour wash and then a four stage decontamination because clay bars tend to mar the paint surface a little bit and dull it to, to the human eye not very noticeable but like when you're looking at a car under detailing lights you notice it but if you're going to immediately go on to machine polishing that's not as much of a concern yeah. so that's probably one of the only areas where you can safely go to the more aggressive method if you know you're immediately going to be correcting the paint anyway yeah so for the for the most part, you're mobile. Have you been able to work in like a detailing shop under those lights? I take lights with me everywhere. Yep. And they are incredibly valuable. I've been very lucky with one of my customers to use their factory warehouse. Yep. So wash it, dry it outside, do the decontamination and everything outside, and then pull the door down and turn the lights off. And then you've got very sharp, focused LED lighting on the car and everything turns up in that you can see a black car that's got average paint at a car show in the sun and it looks a certain way you can see the swirls and where the the washing hasn't been necessarily very delicate when it's in the dark and you've got pin spots on it all over the place those swirls show up like rainbows it's 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 incredibly kind of i guess exposing a lot of people will think their car is in relatively good condition and then you clean all the shit out of all the little marks and everything so every little mark is visible and it's almost embarrassing to some people like oh shit <laughs> I didn't realise it was that bad yeah. and then the discussion of how good do you want it kind of comes into yeah. play because a single stage polish could get you to 65-70% defect removal yeah. and to 90% of the population that's brand new if you're looking at 80 to 90%, that's at least two stages. If you want and have the clear coat for a 100% defect removal and you've got the time and the money to have the car out of action for a little while, 
that's uh, there's only a few people getting around who really can justify that sort of expense, and yeah. that's your really high end kind of consumer driven vehicles or your show car people, and that show car people in themselves are a different ballgame because they know what they're looking at, yeah, and a majority of them are in trades that know how good something can be or they know someone who painted their car for them and things like that. So those are the ones where you really have a big lead-up conversation before you even get any water on the car because there's expectations there. Yeah. It's tricky. Have you been able to do any show cars at all? A little bit here and there. So I did a HG Monaro... I want to say it was a HG. Despite my background, I'm not 100%. It was single-stage paint, and I was very lucky that they had removed the stripes, the factory stripes already, because you don't want to be messing with that. It's very delicate. Single-stage paint's tricky because it sucks, and old paint sucks. So I was lucky enough to do that. That was actually for um, Graves. They, they were auctioning that yep. and a friend of a friend with a panel shop who just basically couldn't be asked doing it rang me and said I've got a job for you do you want to do it went and did it and that was fantastic the people at Grays know what they're talking about so they wanted 80% ish they didn't want the paint to look brand new because the chrome and the metals on the car weren't brand new also so it would have made it look a bit like a character so that was really fun uh, the interior on that one was probably the most fun like real 60s leather like the smell is just amazing I think a lot of people kind of confuse new car smell for leather because new car smell isn't actually anything good that's like glue vapour glues and chemicals and plastics and yeah. yeah so that, yeah. that's not a good smell and that's yeah. why a lot of new cars in six months will have a film on the windscreen because all that shit is just evaporating up yeah. onto the glass so that's interesting but yeah, real real leather, once it's been cleaned down and you put a nice wax into it, particularly like a beeswax or something, there's nothing better than that. It's just so satisfying. There's a lot of satisfaction going on here. Some people might think it's a fetish. It's not, I guarantee it. <laughs> nice, man. Um, there, was a, there was a tangent I was going to go on there. And I lost it because the face you pulled when you said how satisfying it was. <laughs> it's gone. It's absolutely gone. We might wrap her up there, man. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks sure for coming out. It's been mad. What we do have, though, is we have questions from last week's guest. Oh, good. But what we're going to do, so, so we're doing a thing now where last week's guest gets to ask next week's guest a question but they don't know who they're asking the question to okay um i was just going to move it from guest to guest but what i'm going to do is i'm going to give i'm going to as as we go along we're just going to compile a a list of questions from all the guests and everybody along the line gets to answer all of them so you've got two questions all right first one comes from brad tui yeah uh his question was would you rather have nipples for fingers or fingers for nipples and why I'm going to say fingers for nipples because any room I go into with a drink in one hand and food in the other, I can still turn on the light switch. (laughs) Yeah, practicality. That is super practical. (laughs) My my answer there would have been uh, fingers for nipples because 
Can you imagine how sensitive your fingertips would be trying oh, to grab things yeah. if, you, if they were just old nipples? <laughs> It'd suck taking things out of the oven. <laughs> <laughs> that would ruin your whole life. So, yeah, oh, that's perfect. How good is that? You just... Yep. Just be able to turn the light switches on. Imagine the quick Close the door here. to someone who yeah. just noticed you doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Jaw dropped me like, yep, did that. That's good. And uh, coming from last week's guest, Damien Lowe, Chubby, um, Holden or Ford? I'm going to say Holden, push rods forever. <sighs> you make me sad. <laughs> awesome. So with all that said, give us a question for next week's guest. And you're not, you're, you are not allowed to know who they are. All right. I'm going to stitch someone up I think if you could punch any Australian show promoter in the face who would it be and why uh, awesome awesome man <laughs> sorry whoever gets that one <laughs> you know him very well too <laughs> awesome mate well that's it for another show thank you so much dude I appreciate it uh, thanks for having me mate let everybody know Jesus let everybody know how I can't get words out of my mouth let everybody know where they can find you uh, jump on Instagram willowsdetail.co same with Facebook uh, my personal Instagram is Lord Brett John, and of course get on any of the enthusiast socials we've always got Sunday Driver videos coming out with some cool people in there we didn't even talk about them I was going to talk about them there we so. go <laughs> So yeah, jump on socials, have a chat. Awesome, thank you dude. Cheers. Thank you all so much for listening into this week's show. If you would like to help support the podcast, you can go to certifiedprinting.com.au forward slash shops and search for Gutter to Gutter podcast merch. And there you will find a whole range of merchandise, including double and single sided shirts and hoodies, as well as coffee mugs, tote bags and coldy holders. You can also support the show via Patreon at patreon.com forward slash gutter to gutter podcast if you so wish. Through there, you can ask questions and be acknowledged on the show, as well as the added benefit of knowing which guests are coming up and being able to ask those guests questions directly. Any financial support given by you is put straight back into the podcast to better the quality and give you a better listening and interactive experience. Don't forget to head over and follow Gutter to Gutter Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok by searching Gutter to Gutter Podcast and also be sure to like and share our posts to help the podcast grow. I would also love it if you would consider leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. I look forward to bringing you more next week, so please have a great week and look after each other.